Greetings, this is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. Today is a very special podcast for me personally, as we are discussing the fifth anniversary of the investment-grade fixed income team's arrival at Diamond Hill. It's been an amazing five years, and I couldn't have asked for better companions on this journey. What started out as two strategies with $50 million in seed capital has grown into a platform with five strategies and more than $2 billion in assets under management. Our team has grown as well, welcoming structured analysts Charlie Miner and Wen Ting He early on in the process. Joining me for today's podcast are portfolio managers Henry Song and Mark Jackson, two gentlemen that I've known and worked with for more than a decade. Mark and Henry are on the podcast today not only to discuss our experiences over the past five years, but also what has been an exceptional time in the markets, covering everything from Brexit to a global pandemic. While we're in the office more and more, we're still recording this somewhat remotely, so I ask for your forgiveness for any sound issues that may arise. As always, stay safe and stay healthy. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with portfolio managers, Mark Jackson and Henry Song. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today to discuss our first five years here at Diamond Hill. Uh, It's been a hectic five years for all of us, both personally and professionally, with high school graduations, a bat mitzvah, a wedding, and a birth which actually sounds like a late 90s romantic comedy when I think about it. During that time, you guys have also built outstanding track records in both our core fixed income strategy and our short duration strategy. So let's start high level and talk about what these past five years have been like managing through what feels like at least a couple of different cycles. Yeah, it's been crazy. You know, the pandemic, obviously, that's freshest in our minds. And, you know, when we started, interest rates were super low. And, you know, the yield that we were able to generate in the short duration fund was extremely attractive at the time. And while there was some stressful periods during the pandemic, and certainly March of and April of last year, when, you know, the NAV to the short duration fund took a hit, but ultimately, I think the faith in our strategy was, you know, rewarded for the people that stuck around. And, you know, we saw full recovery in the NAV, our core strategy, which is definitely built for any market environment has, you know, has been its usual steady performer. And that's uh, Mark Damon mentioned about the four years of a Trump administration we had and all the different headlines we saw in the last five years. Right. Um, I mean, all the political involvement in the market has been probably something that we have never seen in the past. Even as markets evolve and change, you know, the one constant in our philosophy and process has been the commitment to a focus on bottom-up security selection uh, in an effort to deliver consistent returns. So Mark, I'd like to get your thoughts as to why you believe this philosophy and process has been able to endure through a variety of market cycles with so little change. You know, I think, you know, the answer to that is, you know, the one fundamental element of the process is we're looking to, we're constantly searching for bonds that provide, you know, cheap risk adjusted cash flows. And if you think about this process, when it was developed back in the mid eighties, you know, markets were evolving, interest rates were very high. The mortgage backed securities market was in its, you know, relative infancy, but it was growing very rapidly and it, it was developing very rapidly in the sense that, you know, instead of just, you know, pass, pass through mortgages, the CMO market was, you know, was rapidly developing and the tools to be able to analyze cash flows and prepayments and the optionality of mortgage-backed securities, you know, that was the ability to analyze those cash flows was improving rapidly. 
you know, when you take, you look at the fixed income markets and they're, they're just not efficient. There's a lot of inefficiencies that you can take advantage of. And I think that search for cheap risk adjusted cash flows and buying them in a way that, you know, when you do get something wrong, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to ruin your performance. It will have a small negative impact, but if we can get seven out of 10 decisions, right, we're going to have some good success from a performance standpoint. And I think that's true. in you know, really any market environment, if we're buying bonds that are relatively cheap, you know, relative to what's available over time, we can, we can realize that cheapness as, as securities kind of revert back to fair value. It's proven that that approach is, you know, has worked in, you know, pretty much every environment over the long term. Our strategies launched on July 5th, 2016. Uh, and it was on the heels of the original Brexit vote announcement. And at a time when the 10-year treasury was yielding what was at that point, a historic low of 1.37%. You know, little did we know what was to come in the future and that the 10-year yield would reach a new all-time low of 0.508% in early August of last year. We have never attempted to predict where rates are headed and opt to focus instead, as we've mentioned, on security and sector selection, rather than to put our clients' money at risk predicting where rates may go. So Henry, I'll ask you, how has the past five years just served as a reinforcement of that aspect of the philosophy? I think last five years is a great reminder that you have to be extremely, extremely smart to be able to predict rates and the movement and the, the way it moves and the, uh, you know, the pace it moves. To us, it seems like an impossible exercise rather than spending so much time trying to pr predict future rate movement. You know, to, Mark, to Mark's point, we're looking for cash flows that makes a lot of sense. You know, there are a lot of data points out there you people can point to, uh, you know, especially in today's environment, everyone's talking about big data. Uh, there's all sorts of new data providers there. Uh, you know, to Mark's point, there are better and more efficient ways to analyze, you know, prepayments, cash flows, uh, but there's also just way too much data overload. So I think, you know, what we are trying to do is, you know, almost call it like, you know, a beauty of simplicity. There are things we know that works and we're just going to stick to that. We're not going to use the latest technology necessarily, seeing like how things perform and kind of stick to what we think has always worked. Uh, you know, rather than focus on 100 data points, focus on the five that really matters. Uh, that, that has proven that it really works in this, in, in the, you know, the different environment in the last five years we, we have seen. Uh, you know, again, this philosophy goes back 30 plus years. Um, you know, I think as long as we kind of, we can kind of continue to identify the key elements that, um, that dictates a cash flow and what makes it cheap, I think that's what, that's going to be essentially our secret sauce, right? The beauty and simplicity. I really like that one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. So Henry, I'll gear this question towards you. You know, our strategies from short to intermediate to core tend to focus on securitized as a way of delivering excess return to clients. Uh, short duration in particular is, is fairly unique in its universe with such a heavy focus on the securitized market. What was the thought process around launching and designing this product and how has it fared since its launch in 2016? Yeah, I mean, the securitized market's always been interesting. Uh, you know, historically, we had an overweight in the securitized space. Uh, Mark talked about earlier the creation of the CMO market in the um, early 80s. Uh, that led, There were just a lot of inefficiencies in that space. Uh, I think you just look at the sheer number of QSIPs available in that space. 
um, just makes it very well because when you think about a mortgage, uh, you can essentially indefinitely slice and dice that into different cash flows, different tranches. Uh, so that makes it uh, interesting and also makes it hard for new technology to come into the space to disrupt it. Uh, you talk about electronic trading in the corporate space, that doesn't really exist in the mortgage space, right? As the market continues to evolve, especially post 2008, uh, we've seen some newer asset classes coming to the market. You know, I think one of the, some of the catalysts were like, for example, like GE being, GE was broken up, GE Capital. They did a lot of that stuff on the balance sheets before, and now they come to the asset-backed securities market, financing various securities. So we found a lot of attractive uh, new asset classes coming to the market that weren't exactly accepted by uh, most of the investors initially. Um, and we continue to see more of that uh, happening. Uh, so, you know, for example, like in the green revolution we're talking about now, we start seeing solar panels, you know, Tesla start uh, securitizing their deals, which is, which is all just very different than what has been in the market historically. Uh, so all of that just creates a lot of opportunities. And to us, like when we look back, it just never made sense why something that has so much more enhancement uh, gets worse rating oftentimes than their corporate counterparts uh, and trading on much wider spreads, right? We would really contribute that to the, you know, something that's early, in early stage of development, uh, not mass, massively um, popular and not being part of the index really also hurts it as well. Uh, so you, but, on the flip side, there are uh, less inter, uh, disruption, uh, or if you call, you know, sometimes you can think of it as a manipulation because uh, when the index people are start buying it, then the value really gets erodes away very quickly. Uh, so you know, it's it's done well. The short duration strategy you mentioned has a pretty unique proposition where it's eighty percent plus in securitized products, and we have held a pretty steady yield advantage over the benchmark over the last five years. Uh, kind of roughly around 200 basis points in that five-year time span. And so, you know, I think that has proven that it's, uh, it works really well uh, in this space. Uh, certainly, you know, like we talked about last March, had its fair challenges when liquidity uh, dried up in the space. Uh, but outside of that one episode has uh, held up extremely well. And I think it provided a lot of value for people who have a you know, longer time investment horizon and who can stomach the little bit of volatility that may come along. So no one could have predicted what was going to happen in 2020 as a pandemic paralyzed the global economy as well as financial markets and caused unprecedented tragedy around the world. You've both been in this industry a long time, Mark, a little bit longer than Henry, and you've managed through market upheavals caused by long-term capital management, the great financial crisis and the taper tantrum, just to name a couple. So Mark, in your experience, how have the past 18 months or so been different from these events in the past? You know, I think probably the biggest difference was just the way liquidity in the fixed income markets evaporated early last year when the, you know, when the lockdowns started and certainly in the front end where it just became impossible almost to, you know, to execute trades, you know, dealers clearly were not going to use their balance sheet. So just the, you know, just the amount of distress in the front end of the market, I think was, you know, much worse than even, you know, the financial crisis where, you know, liquidity definitely difficult to come by. And I think there was a money market fund that broke the buck and 
you know, I think as, you know, people on that analyze what happened last year, I think they're, you know, it's going to come out that there are a lot of, you know, a lot more money market funds and, you know, that were, you know, feeling some distress that clearly got bailed out by all the, the monetary and fiscal stimulus that, you know, was provided to the market. And quite frankly, I mean, it was, it was really the right thing for the Fed and, and for Congress to do. And just to stick with that a little bit further, one of the things that you and I had talked about during this time and, and the things that were happening within the market was, you know, not only what was going on in the shorter end, but what was going on in the longer end, even in the treasury market. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what we saw there that was so unique to anything we've seen before? Well, I think, you know, liquidity in the, in the long end of the market was, you know, was definitely hurt as well. It's like off the run 30-year treasuries, you know, bid offer spreads, you know, gapped out to, you know, probably at least a half a point, which is, you know, something certainly I'd never seen in the marketplace. It really was the first time I've seen where there is no market, right? That other way to put it, what happened last year was essentially the market disappeared and you were trading by appointment. And so you were at the mercy of whoever has money at the time if you needed liquidity. And that's something we never experienced in 2008. Right, 2008, we had fears. We had we didn't know we had counterparty risks. You didn't, you know, is there another Bear Stearns or Lehman Brothers? Uh, but it wasn't like there's no market. There's still a market out there, uh, and people are still trying to do rational analysis, trying to figure out the extent of housing fraud, trying to figure out, you know, where the bottom may be. Last year was just everything shuts down, and everyone's like, she basically says, we can't figure this out. We are not open for business, and that was that. Yeah, there's, you know, and that's probably, you know, we probably didn't see any dealers go under this time, probably as a result of the, you know, the financial crisis where, you know, new regulations and, and risk management on the part of the, on the part of the banks, they were able to weather that storm in, in a way that maybe they wouldn't have had they not had that experience. We joined Diamond Hill five years ago during the height of the talk about the death of core and the emergence of go anywhere strategies as a replacement or an augmentation to core. The Diamond Hill core bond strategy has experienced consistent growth since its launch in 2016. And as we've reached our five-year anniversary, we're starting to see an increase in interest. So Henry, I'll ask you, is it safe to say that core is not dead and in fact remains a vital part of a well-balanced portfolio? I think that question is almost similar to where's the rates gonna go in the next three months? It's very similar to that, and you really, you know, it's hard. It's really hard for for me to say for sure. Uh, but you know, looking at all the data, right? We started talking about the death of core really post two thousand eight. Uh, you started all these uh, unconstrained bond funds came about, and you started hearing, you know, some some of the consultants and others are doing their own um, call it satellite core approach, where they're picking managers from various sectors to kind of combine to make a core. Uh, work. Uh, but you know, the, the results so far, we're, we're over 10 years in this, in this uh, experiment now, uh, but the results is a very much a mixed bag. Uh, people were expecting, um, you know, the, the sort of a go anywhere funds or, you know, mix, mix and match approach to far outperform uh, the ag index. And that really just hasn't been the case. Uh, and they actually probably added a lot more volatility to their uh, portfolio as a result. Uh, you know, in theory, that should really work if you're picking the right managers, doing the right thing uh, in various sectors. If you pick the best manager in every single sector, uh, in theory, you should do better. But I think the issue ends up being 
one, you know, sometimes it's hard to pick a manager. And two, you're going to have an overall allocator who's allocating amongst these different sectors, making that macro call. And that's extremely difficult as kind of, you know, that's basically our belief. It's very difficult to make that sort of call. Uh, so, you know, in some ways, you know, again, <laughs> beauty of simplicity, I think, stick into something that's simple, uh, I think it works. Um, and I think the other part of it too, why those funds haven't done as well. And I really think part of that is just also the fees, right? Uh, these newer exciting strategies had much higher fee associated with them. Uh, or even when you start mix and match different managers in different sectors, those sector funds tend to charge higher fee as well. So at the end of the day, your hurdle of beating the ag index became higher. And so that, that also didn't help uh, in their cause as well. So, I, you know, I don't know if core is dead or not. I mean, certainly it's hard for me to say, okay, let's get super excited at fixed income as a low rates right now. But then again, I don't know where rates are going and how long we're we gonna stay this low. Um, but, you know, I, I think if you just stick to the, what worked, um, you know, if you had a model, you had a percentage in core, uh, you stick with that. And I think that that will serve you well over long term. Any final thoughts on these five years? Um, what the experience has been like, uh, anything like that before we wrap up? Well, it's been fun. Uh, you know, I'm certainly glad to have had, you know, for all three of us to have had this opportunity at Diamond Hill. I think, you know, we've certainly tried to live up to our commitment. Our team is growing. Diamond Hill has certainly lived up to, to its commitment to, to provide us with the resources that we need to be successful. And, you know, they've continued to, they've continued to honor that promise to us. And I'm, I'm certainly very grateful for that. There's five years of pretty interesting market cycle. Uh, seems like it has come a full cycle in a very short period of time. You know, certainly that keeps things interesting, but I, I will hope we don't experience something like March of 2020 again. That was too exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, it has been an honor and a pleasure uh, these past five years. So thank you guys both. I appreciate it. Let's look forward to another several years. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.